powered by Clear Vision Development Group. This is Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast. Each week, we'll provide you with top business insights, fresh perspectives from world-class guests, and the tools you need to lead better than before. And now, here's your host, author and business coach, Tony Richards. Welcome to the program where we salute the original Gerber baby, Ann Turner Cook, who just turned 94 recently. Today on Better Than Before, my special guest is Steve Shaparo, frustrated visionary, culture design strategist, and principal of the company Culture Design Studio. Lots to talk about with Steve, about vision and culture, how to integrate it, how to design it. It's going to be an interesting conversation in just a couple of minutes. And today on the Leadership and Business Lesson, I'm going to focus on four ways that you can up your storytelling game as a leader. Today's program is sponsored by University Subaru. University Subaru, homegrown and proud of it. There's nothing quite like the love of a good dog. At University Subaru, it seems to us they're all good. See special pet-friendly features in the new 2021 Subaru Outback and Forester. It's never been easier to hit the open road with your best friend and to keep them safe with Subaru all-wheel drive. Subaru is dog-tested and dog-approved. Love, it's what makes a Subaru a Subaru and a dog a dog. University Subaru, Columbia, homegrown and proud of it. Are you working twice as hard but enjoying fewer rewards? Maybe you're highly accomplished, but you just can't seem to break through and make the next big move. Or you run a business that has begun to grow stagnant. It doesn't have to stay that way. Even the best leaders have felt as if their careers were spiraling out of control. But that's when they had to lead and lead big. Tony Richards' new book, The Big Idea, 52 Ways to Be a Better Leader Now, will help launch you forward in leadership. Learn how to take charge and lead yourself, lead others, and lead your company. Purchase online today at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and our website, clearvisiondevelopment.com. Welcome back to Better Than Before, everyone. This is Tony Richards. My special guest today is Steve Shaparo. He's an organizational culture expert and communicator who speaks worldwide about how companies can transform their workplace culture through intentional co-creation and communication. Steve is a self-described frustrated visionary, and I really want to get into that during our conversation. His passionate message of navigating the transformative journey of leadership resonates with visionaries and innovators who find themselves stuck in the messy in-between seasons. He himself embodies and defines this in-between, the bridges, the connections, the culture of community, by standing astride disciplines of design, architecture, culture, and communication. He equips community to speak for and solve for its own needs and aspirations. It's going to be very interesting today. He's the founder and principal of Culture Design Studio. It's an organizational design agency based in Long Beach, California. He previously served as vice president of strategic design, overseeing strategy, story, and business development at Visioneering Studios, a national design build firm. 
He's also the creator and host of the Culture Design Show, a podcast featuring conversations about workplace culture with top leaders and thinkers. I'm very honored and excited to talk about this with Steve Shapiro today. Steve, welcome to the program. Tony, thank you so much. I appreciate it. It's yeah. an honor to be here. You bet, man. Thanks for taking the time to spend some time with myself and my audience, because as we were talking before we went live, culture is a complicated issue, and people are a little frustrated about it a lot of times. They're not quite sure where to start. It can be difficult. It's definitely something that has to be maintained on a regular basis. But I want to talk to you a little bit. You're taking a little bit different approach to this. And I'm excited because your former title had vice president of strategic design overseeing strategy, story, and business development. The story part of it is what intrigues me. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so the firm that I was at, as you mentioned, was Visioneering Studios. And some of the founders and executives there actually came from the world of Disney. Mm. So those that are familiar with Disney know that the innovation arm of Disney is Disney Imagineering. And so it goes back to Walt Disney. He obviously had his two-dimensional movies and cartoons, but he wasn't satisfied with that. He wanted people to be able to enter into the story three-dimensionally and experience it almost as a character. So that became the advent of Disneyland and all the theme parks where you can actually experience in three dimensions that story. So the idea of spatial storytelling came from that impetus. And so our goal at Visionary Studios was to take the story of the organization, their cultural narrative, what are their values, what is their purpose in the world, what are they trying to achieve for their stakeholders, and how do you take that story and embody it in their space? Mm. So say, for instance, if they really loved the idea of collaboration, And so we would then say, okay, so if this is collaboration, what are some of the activities that embody that value of collaboration? What are some of the spaces in your office that would facilitate that type of interaction? Do you have those spaces? If not, then what can we do to create those spaces to house those activities that embody those values or embodies that story? So a lot of what we did there was not only come up with what is understanding the strategy in terms of what they they were trying to accomplish, but how do we tell that story in their space? I love all that. In my coaching practice of coaching executives, I have long asked them about frustrations or about difficulties they're having. I have always said, what is the story you're telling yourself about this? Yeah right? Because story is just, is so powerful. So that really caught my attention there. If I can add on to that, we would always say that every space tells a story. It just may not be the one you want to tell. Yeah. There is the aspirational story, but then there is the experience story. And so there's sometimes misalignment between what is stated and what is actually experienced. And that's the same thing goes for culture is many times those statements that we put on the walls are aspirational. But when a client or when an employee, they come on board because of that statement. But then if their experience is different, then that misalignment causes problems. So now then they're receiving mixed messages. Absolutely. And they're trying to figure out. And I also believe that if left to our own devices, we tend to follow the negative one. We tend to get influenced by the negative message more than the positive one. I don't know why it is 
if yeah. they were that way, but we tend to, which just totally frustrating because it negates all the hard work we've done for the positive. Right. I think that goes to this phenomenon in the way I've characterized that or people that I've worked with have characterized that is in the absence of a story, we write our own. Yes. And it's not always that positive one, as you say. And so we start filling in the blanks, the paranoia kicks in, the cynicism kicks in, and that definitely influences the story we tell ourselves. And so sometimes it's not a reality. Sometimes there's some kernels of truth in that, because if a leader does not establish the true narrative, the true story, and the experience to align with that, then that's a problem because there's a vacuum, Mm. a vacuum of leadership that uh, other people will stand up and and fill that vacuum and that it doesn't always end well. Yeah. It won't be good. Right. It won't be good. Yeah. To me, that's why feedback is so important, right? Because we can control the narrative with positive feedback or improvement oriented feedback so that the person doesn't make up their own negative story about themselves. Let's talk about being a frustrated visionary. So (laughs) I'll have to confess, man, I'm an avid reader. I'm constantly learning about this stuff all the time, and I haven't come across this. So I want you yeah. to educate us. And this has really been deeply rooted in my own experience, my own experience, and then realizing that it's a shared experience with a lot of visionaries out there. Visionaries, as we know, are people who definitely have a picture, a vision for a preferred future, or in some cases, they have a picture of a pending unpreferred future that if things don't change, things will end up badly. And so they're either sounding warnings or they're painting beautiful pictures about this future. However, there are times that, well, I would say it's often that visionaries who are ahead of their time, they live in the future because they're six or seven years out into the future. They see how these things could be And they're living as if they are trying to bring that future to today. There's a very small percentage of people that think that way. Mm. In fact, if you look at the innovation adoption curve, it says that the innovators are the first two and a half percent of people that adopt a new idea. So I think that visionaries fall into the innovator spectrum and say there are two and a half percent of all society. Wow. So when we're expecting that the other 97.5% of people will think like us, well, that's going to be a journey. And many times it will take multiple years for folks to comprehend or the idea's time will actually come into its own. Because many times we do think of ideas that are literally for the future, not of the future, but for the future, meaning it's going to be down the road. So when we express our ideas when we either sound a warning or paint a beautiful picture of where we should be, there's that little bit of an imperative to that voice. Well, often that passion and vision meets resistance. Cynicism, if people are on the fence or people start pushing back. And I think depending on what generation this visionary is from or represents, they may have had a different experience with how their visions are accepted. In some cases with command and control types of cultures, people just fall in line because it's top down. Well, with these younger generations coming in, they don't see it that way. They're going to push back. They're going to voice their cynicism either with their lips or with their feet by leaving because they're not going to stick around for 30 years in an environment that they don't like. So when that visionary leader encounters resistance or pushback to their idea, their vision turns into frustration. 
their passion turns into frustration. And I think it's in those moments of frustration, overwhelm, irritation, and discouragement that many leaders feel it's that sometimes the shadow side of their personalities will emerge. That explains why, to me, we have a lack of leaders in this time period that we're living in, because I think the very essence of leadership is for the leader to go into the future and then come back and take the rest of us there. Yeah. Would you say that someone like a Steve Jobs would have fit into the category you're talking about? I think he was visibly frustrated. And from what I've learned and read about him, he would express, although in his case, from what I hear, there is this phenomenon of where he would bend the present, like this, what is it called? Uh, some type of warping where he would... Some kind of continuum. Yeah, bend, like bend the world to his version of what reality and it would happen. Uh-huh. So he was definitely a visionary in some cases, maybe frustrated, but what what was different about him is that he literally almost commanded, willed things into existence. Yeah. Just from reading the Walter Isaacson book about him, I had a lot of empathy for him because I thought, man, he really has difficulty with rapport and connection. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have examples of people that we would know that would fit what you're talking about? That is a great question. Actually, let me go back to the Steve Jobs example, because I think sure. what you just called out in terms of the difficulty of having rapport with people, the difficulty of being able to communicate your idea, because for many of us, it's so crystal clear in our heads, but as soon as it escapes our lips, it doesn't resonate as well. And I think that there are times where communication is a challenge. You might do well to give a talk in front of thousands of people, but you have difficulty relating to somebody one-on-one. Right. And I think that's because with thousands of people, I'm in total control. Yeah. But, but in a one-on-one, I'm in less control, right? There's yeah. another person that has 50% of the conversation. Whereas right. talking to a thousand people, I have all the conversation. Yeah. And I had a friend who's a rap artist and who's a visionary. And I would say a frustrated visionary because a lot of these folks that speak truth to power, they're calling out injustices and maybe calling for social reform. He told me as I was interviewing him one time, he says, I have no problem being vulnerable with 5,000 people. I have absolute problem with being vulnerable one-on-one. Yeah. And so I think that there's a bit of comfort that comes from hiding in a crowd, even though you're on stage and in the lights. I think to be able to be vulnerable in a way that says, you know what, I realize that if I want to lead change, I need to actually live that change myself. Because I think even with Steve Jobs, sort of the workforce under Jobs at the time was basically, I would say, of the boomer and Gen X generation. Now with the millennials and Gen Z, that's a whole group of people that he did not work with. And that does require a new type of leader. Some folks might interpret some of the millennial generation as entitlement. I don't necessarily see it completely as entitlement, but as a way of saying, I have a different way of sensing, finding purpose, finding fulfillment, and I have no problem voicing it. Mm. My generation, Gen X, we absolutely had a problem voicing the angst in ourselves. So I think it's just different ways of dealing with that angst that we sometimes feel that leaders need to adjust to. 
what I generally tell my clients is you could focus on the things that are not in common if you want. What I would try to find is what are the areas we have in common and focus mm-hmm. on that. Because I think regardless of the generational characteristics that every mm-hmm. generation has, there are some things we share. Absolutely. And let's focus on that. Let me ask you this about the frustrated visionary. And then I want to go to the kind of workplaces we're experiencing now and where that's yeah. going. But to me, every idea exists in a window of opportunity. And that idea brings itself to fruition or it can be lost. Do frustrated visionaries think that window is closing all the time? Oh, yeah. I think that's absolutely how visionaries feel. They feel that there's a very small window and this needs to be done now. There's that imperative. There's that urgency. This needs to be done now. And I think in some cases, there may be some truth to that. But I think in other cases, the reality is, is that idea, the innovation, that vision will require some time to germinate. And so thinking of a vision almost as a seed that is going to take some time to grow and even come into its own time sometimes, because that's one thing that I've struggled with as a self-described frustrated visionary is that many times the frustration I have felt about timing is because I did want it to happen now. And at the end of the day, when I stepped out of this experience about this vision, I realized that it was not the right time that it did need some time for people to adopt and adapt to, and maybe some of the circumstances needed to line up even better for it to be the right time for that. But yeah, visionaries feel like even though it's a vision of a seven-year thing, they're acting as if it's not a seven-year thing. It's an immediate thing that needs to happen. And I think that's where I've had to learn. And I help other visionaries really learn how do you sit with that messy middle? between vision and fulfillment. And it's not just the fulfillment of the idea, but to have a sense of fulfillment, internal fulfillment, that there's this intrinsic value that I get from this experience. Yeah. Well, I'm sure that they also are thinking that I can't be the only one thinking about this. There's probably somebody else who's trying to do this too. And that probably adds to the urgency. Yeah. And I think you're, touching on something that I think is really important and you may not be characterizing it like this, but I think the idea of community amongst visionaries is extremely critical. The idea to understand that yes, you may be different than 97 and a half percent of the world, but you're not alone. Right. There are other people that think like you and being able to find a community of fellow visionaries where you can learn from each other because everyone is at a different stage along that journey. And it's a cyclical journey, right? It's not just a linear where it's beginning and end. You're constantly evolving. And so finding people either as fellow travelers or as guides in your world as a coach, in my world as a coach, is finding both of those representations in our life to be able to help us through that because I would say a common attribute of visionaries is that they are lonely or they travel alone. The whole it's lonely at the top thing needs to stop. Yeah. Like it doesn't have to be that way. It shouldn't be that way. I love that Um, idea. Community amongst visionaries is a critical thing. I love that idea. I'm not quite sure we're in the post COVID world quite yet. We might be more in the post lockdown because we still got to deal with the COVID thing and The CEOs and teams that I work with, they're constantly wrestling with the, 
what's the workplace, right? As if culture and vision and all this ideology wasn't difficult enough. Now we got to deal with where people are working. Are they going to all be in one place? Are they going to be in multiple places? Are they going to be at home? Are some going to be at home and some are going to be here? So tell me a little bit about how visionaries go about this. I think it's really important to re-examine what is the desired outcome of anything. I think too many times we are fixated on the mechanism. And I say the physical workplace is a mechanism to achieve a certain outcome. So rather than fixating on the mechanisms, let's look at what are the desired outcomes of our workforce, of our teams. And even with respect to the physical environment, I would say in light of those desired and needed outcomes, what then is the new value proposition of the physical office? We have a lot of baggage that we are still dealing with in terms of what we believe the office is for. We have said historically it's for individual work, it's for collaboration, it's for meetings. And we've said in most cases that that is to be done entirely at the office. Well, COVID has disrupted all of that. It's basically shown us that there are other ways to do things. So I think when some offices are saying, well, what is the new value proposition for the physical office? Well, maybe it's where we have our town hall meetings. Maybe it's where we have our conference rooms where we actually have collaborative sessions or we're working together in person is really critical. But maybe some of the individual heads down work can be done from home. So I think the whole metrics and formulas of how we calculate the needed office space and the type of space we need, it can be completely revamped in that you start seeing that there's less square footage per person that is required. You have a spatial diversity of spaces that can facilitate those required activities in an office. But then you start to think about the digital office, which is working remote. What is the technology that you need to allow or to resource in order to get those things? So I think it goes back to what are the desired outcomes? And then what is the new value proposition of both the physical workplace and the digital workplace? Mm. I actually think that in the future, organizations will actually be involved in people's home designs. Oh, for sure. So they'll have this part of their home that's specifically designed for that organization they're working with. One of the things that early in the pandemic, I would say May, June, July of last year, the American Institute of Architects was coming out with some new ideas that they believed would impact residential design. They weren't necessarily saying at the time that the company that they worked for would dictate some of this design, but they did start saying that new home design or even remodels would definitely be much more focused on that home office. Mm -hmm. And what does that look like in proximity to different rooms? Even when you have a foyer coming into the house, a mudroom that you didn't have before, to dispose of some of the externally contaminated, if you will, clothing, all those different things will impact the, not just the office design, but definitely the design of the home as well. I think that's awesome. I was watching a documentary last night of Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger. And it was funny because Munger's 97 and Buffett's like 94 and Buffett's been on zoom three times in his life. And (laughs) Munger's on zoom at 97, three or four times a day. 
Yeah. I think it goes back to different generations have their things, but that doesn't mean there aren't people in those generations that aren't readily adaptable. Yeah. It's different generations. It's different personalities. It's different roles. Even for instance, a lot of people are asking me about, is the open plan office dead? And I would say it's dead for some, like say an engineer who is very much task oriented and just focused on writing code. That open plan is horrible for that person. Mm-hmm. But a person who is on a creative team who is either ideating or brainstorming with their team, they might love the open plan or at least a really great collaborative space where they can do that type of work when that activity is needed. So that's the reason why I come back to spatial diversity. It's a different space for a different activity, for a different type of working style. I was going to say personality, but it's more working style that is needed for the certain type of activity that they're involved in. Well, Steve, we covered quite a bit here, but I obviously don't have the question to generate the answer I'm wanting. So I'm just going to ask you, what's something about this that I haven't asked you that people really need to know? I think for me, it's when we talk about wanting to bring about change, whether it's in our workplace and our culture, I think rather than asking the question, how do the people or the structure, how do they need to change like an external solution? I would really encourage leaders to look inwardly and say, how do I need to change in order to facilitate whatever change we need to see in our company and really look internally to how do I transform the way I think, the way I lead, not to change who I am, not to change my personality, but to adapt to the changing environment. There is no way that a leader today can rely on their entire experience and expertise to deal with every solution today. Things are changing way too fast. We're encountering situations we have never seen before, like a pandemic, as an example, like collective grief across all of humanity during a pandemic. These are things, my sister's a marriage and family therapist, and she's got high-performing leaders that are asking, how do I deal with this? And she's saying, what? I'm going through this with you as an individual. So let's learn together. And so having some degree of vulnerability that will lead to empathy. I don't think you can have empathy without vulnerability. I agree. And so being able to just open up yourself in that way. So I'm really preaching a message of inner transformation of leaders to lead organizational transformation. And that's what I really encourage leaders to do. We've been visiting with Steve Shaparo. He's the founder and principal at Culture Design Studio. It's an organizational design agency, and he's got something special for you today. We're going to tell you how to get that and also how to find out more about him. But first, Steve, I have these 12 questions yeah, that I ask, I ask everybody that comes on the show. So I'm going to shoot these to you, all right? What's the best memory that immediately comes to mind for you in your life? Best memory that I have is some of my family road trips when I was a kid. We would beg my mom to come up with stories on the fly. My sisters would be in the backseat and I would be laid across the hump on the floor in the back. Those are some good memories. That's awesome. Who's the number one hero in your life? Number one hero in my life, I would have to say my dad. My dad has experienced the ups and downs of leadership and has gone through some really tough times. And the way I've seen him navigate and express humility, so much of who I am as a communicator, as a teacher, 
as an advisor comes from the example that my dad gave me. He was a pastor. So oh, I have followed awesome. up in many of those steps as well. Oh, God love him. What's the top value you subscribe to? I would say the value, and I mentioned it earlier, is vulnerability. Vulnerability, yeah. Who's the most important person in your life? Oh, she's just right here. She's exiting my room. It's my wife. She's the most valuable person, most impactful person in my life. And I was just telling her the other day that the thing that I love the most is our evening walks where we can just walk, get exercise, and just have some great conversations. What's her name? Michelle with one L. All right, Michelle. (laughs) What's your favorite thing in the whole world? I would say it's spending time with my family, my kids. It's not something I've always appreciated or it's definitely something I've taken for granted in the past when I wanted to hobnob with folks in the world and realizing that the best people to hobnob with are my family and my kids. I think we all make that mistake early in our careers. What's your favorite food? New Mexican red chili enchiladas. Oh man, that sounds delicious. Most (laughs) beautiful place you've ever visited? I would say it's Tahiti. Tahiti was a beautiful place. If you could describe success in one word, what would that word be? Transformation. How do you want to be remembered? There's this epitaph about King David in the Bible that says he achieved his purpose for his generation and laid to rest and died, living a life of purpose. That's great. If you had to go back and talk to a younger Steve and you had some advice for him, what would you tell him? You're on the right track. Keep the faith, right? Yeah. What's your favorite sound? Waves, ocean waves. And if you had to go back and look at all the lessons you've learned in your life, what's the best lesson? The best lesson is to remove things from your life and don't fill that space up with other things. That's great. Now, you've got an audio series you want to offer to the listeners, right? Tell them how to get there. Yeah, it's a five-day audio course that I'm offering to your audience, and it is for frustrated visionaries. It's Foundations for Change for Frustrated Visionaries. So it's over a series of five days, you get emails that are sent directly to your email box that will connect you to an audio lesson with some exercises. And so it's a great way to be introduced to some of the ideas that we talked about today. And folks can go to stevechaparro.co slash frustrated. And that last name is one P and two R's, stevechaparro.co slash frustrated. And that website without the slash is how they'd find out about yep. your company. Yep. All right. Yeah. Yep. Steve Shaparo, everybody, organizational culture expert. Steve, I loved it today. I'm so glad we met and I want you to come back sometime. Yeah, that'd be great. Thank you so much. I love the conversation as well. I love your questions and I love your passion and I appreciate it. That would be fun. You bet, man. Thanks about Steve Shaparo, everybody. I'll have your leadership and business lesson coming up next on Better Than Before. There's nothing quite like the love of a good dog. At University Subaru, it seems to us they're all good. See special pet-friendly features in the new 2021 Subaru Outback and Forester. It's never been easier to hit the open road with your best friend and to keep them safe with Subaru all-wheel drive. Subaru is dog-tested and dog-approved. Love, it's what makes a Subaru a Subaru and a dog a dog. University Subaru, Columbia, homegrown and proud of it. Receive weekly coaching tips from Tony Richards, delivered straight to your inbox. Whether you're a CEO or an entrepreneur, Tony can help you reach your goals and give you a competitive edge within your industry. Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo covers topics ranging from leadership development to teamwork to company culture and more. 
text the word leadership to 38470 to sign up for Tony's Monday morning coaching memo or sign up online at clearvisiondevelopment.com. Welcome back to Better Than Before. I'm Tony Richards, and one of the skill sets that has really come to the forefront in the last couple of years for leaders is storytelling. And stories provide a wonderful way of opening a door of communication into people's lives. Stories can transport your audience into a state of delight and discovery if you do them properly and if you perform them well. Building a modern-day business culture in your organization requires many ingredients, A couple of those ingredients include myths, legends, and stories. As human beings, our appetite for story is a reflection of our need to grasp patterns of living, not just as an exercise, but it is a very personal, emotional experience. Leaders who become great storytellers possess a great advantage in leading folks, teams, and organizations. Now, you think about this. Each week, millions of people, mostly who do not know each other, sit in a dark room together, concentrate on a large screen, and experience the power of story together. On average, Hollywood produces around one produced story, or as we call them, movies, per day. Our love of stories is deep and very personal. A good story is a story well told that people want to hear. This is a talent the leader should put some focus on developing for themselves. The love of story of vivid characters, a world spun and created by your passion, is not enough. You also have to become good at telling the story. Both you and the story must be good together. It's not just getting up in a group and telling a story, although that can be part of it. One of the strongest ways is to weave stories into your conversations, keeping your memories quickly on hand and collectible for the proper occasion. Stories should be used to illustrate points in a strong way while having a strong entertainment factor. Your people want to hear, tell, and create stories with you. It builds organizational culture and increases bonding. Good storytelling requires practice, paying attention to what works and what does not work. Occasionally, in your excitement to use stories, you might start rambling. Maybe you start going on too long or get off point. Be self-aware enough to notice this and just stop it. Admit you are way off point, adjust, and get back on track quickly. Many leaders have not had the benefit of speech training and experience, which provides a place to practice and build this essential skill. Still, though, practice is necessary in all skill sets. Repetition builds skill, and storytelling is no exception. Be sure you don't tell the same stories over and over and over because your people will start going, oh, I've heard this one before. It's like seeing a movie 500 times in a row. It becomes repetitive and non-effective. And you'll also want to work in always replenishing your supply of stories so you have plenty of stories to have a variety and for them to be fresh. Life is just full of stories. It just is. Our lives and personal careers are rich with anecdotes everywhere. As you are around people, pay more attention to them as they talk. As you read, pay more attention to how the author weaves stories into their writing. Pay more attention to how actors deliver their characters and how they deliver their lines. 
reflect on your daily experiences and think about how you can develop a story around them, which would be impactful on someone going through maybe the same circumstances. Then write the story down in an organized fashion and practice delivering it effectively. Then you can find someone to which you can practice telling the story to and watch for reaction. Here are four simple ways that you could increase your storytelling skill set. Number one, don't over explain. When we're not clear ourselves about the story we're telling, we tend to ramble around in the details. Repetition works well in communication, except in one instance, storytelling. We don't need to hear meaningless details over and over and over. Make sure you edit yourself wisely. There's a balance between over-editing or self-editing yourself and actually editing out some of the details that really don't matter. If it's not needed for the person to get the main point of the story, pitch it out. It doesn't matter. Number two, don't shut down your story trying to remember nouns. Sometimes when we tell a story, we can't remember the name of the person, or maybe we don't remember exactly the place or a certain thing about it. And we start goofing up the rhythm of the story by trying to search around in our memory. And a story is just like a good joke. You're headed to the punchline or to the point. Don't strain yourself when you can't remember the noun, just delete it from the story. They don't need to know the person's name or make up a name. It doesn't matter. Don't strain yourself when you can't remember it, right? Chances are the audience doesn't know the person anyway. They don't know the place. You can interchange those things, and the thing can be reinserted somewhere else or taken out altogether. Number three, don't be in too big of a hurry. Oh, there's nothing worse than a rushed story. There's a balance between being too long and rushing through it. Delivery of your story is everything. Comedians are masters at delivering content. If you don't hit the main points at the right cadence or at the right time or the right speed, you can lose the whole effect you were trying to achieve with your story. Control your breathing. Slow your mind down. Relax. It's a good story. Tell it in a good fashion. And number four, keep the background very simple. Of course, the listeners of your story need a certain amount of background in order to get the meaning of your story. At the same time, they don't need all the background. They only need the relevant pieces. Remember, the story is there to enhance your main message that you're trying to get across to your department, your people, your direct report. The story itself is background and your message is foreground. If you can make the background of your story much too important, then you're going to water down the main point of the story and your audience may completely lose the main message. You don't want that to happen. You just need to practice, 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 practice repetition. Like in all skills, especially in storytelling builds the skill. That's our show today. Better than before is sponsored by university Subaru university, Subaru homegrown and proud of it. You can follow me on Twitter at Tony Richards Four. you can come over and join our free Facebook group, Tony Richards, speaker, author, coach, a special thanks, as always, to our producer, Tessa Hall. And until we see each other again next week, I'm your host, Tony Richards on Better Than Before, reminding you that everything gets better when you get better. Thank you for listening to Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast powered by Clear Vision Development Group. For more resources from Tony, visit clearvisiondevelopment.com. 
Join us next time for another episode of Better Than Before with Tony Richards. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.